Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the YPod, where we highlight everyday Wyoming leaders. Uh, very excited today for you to meet someone who climbs very tall things. Uh, Josie McKee, uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we are going to talk a lot about climbing as we go through this, so I'm excited to hear all kinds of stories. You guys are in for a treat. Um, maybe as a way to start, if you could tell us a little bit of where did you grow up? How did you get involved with climbing as, a, as an activity? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on here. Uh, so I grew up in California. Um, I know I'm a Cal I'm another one of the California transplants to Wyoming. Uh, but um, on the coast of California, where there wasn't actually very much rock climbing, but there was when I was a kid, there were just starting to be climbing gyms. And one of the early gyms was started in Santa Cruz. Um, and I was about nine, I think, when some family friends brought me to that gym. And the cool thing about that gym was it was started by some old Yosemite climbers that if they hear this, they're gonna be like, old, what do you mean? But <laughs> no, but they had a background in Yosemite climbing. Uh, and they really wanted that gym to be a facility to help climbers learn to go climbing outside and I think that the community within that gym uh, was really oriented that way to train and climb outside. And a bunch of them climbed in Yosemite and other places that were somewhat nearby. So Yosemite itself was about four hours away from where I grew up. And uh, I started, you know, getting some of the mentors that I met from that gym to take me outside. And we went on various little climbing adventures around California. And eventually, it became like, this is the direction my life is gonna take. Um, so it was, you know, I, I was doing these trips throughout high school, but then after I finished high school, went away to college, it was like, oh, I need to be somewhere where I can climb more. And I took a semester off college because I wanted to climb a little bit more and kept going back and forth from climbing being this center point of my life to then going back and trying to finish my education. And um, so it was It was on one of the trips. Um, I think I was 17. It was just after I had graduated from high school. Um, we were driving from Santa Cruz over to the Eastern Sierra to go climbing in the Bishop area. And Yosemite is the, the point on the way that you can stop at. And my climbing partner was like, oh, you haven't been to Yosemite like I had been there when I was a small child and I didn't remember it and he's like oh we have to we have to stop and check it out so um we stopped we drove through the park and um I was sitting below El Cap um it was a just, the sun had just gone down the moon was coming out and we were looking up at these big massive walls and just as it was getting dark, headlights started, or headlamps, climbers' headlamps that were sleeping on the walls started flickering on on the wall above. And I was like, wow, if I could do that, like if climbing is something that could put me in that place up there, like 3,000 feet up camping on a sheer granite face, like that's what I want to do with rock climbing. And so we we hung out and watched and my friend had climbed El Cap before and he told me these stories. And then from there, I really 
decided, like it took me a few years to get there, but I really decided that my trajectory was, I need to figure out how to climb the walls in Yosemite and I want to climb El Cap someday. So I worked toward developing my skills to climb on the bigger things. Um, Cause mostly what I had been climbing previous to that was, you know, little hundred foot cliffs, that kind of thing. Um, so I worked my skill set up and had some other mentors that were like, Josie, you're, you're pretty ready. Basically what you need to do to climb El Cap is just like show up in Yosemite and go do the thing. So, <laughs> so I went, um, had like a couple week trip and didn't have climbing partners, but had the gear and had the skills that I had been mentored through. And was like, all right, I want to climb. I want to find someone to climb a big wall with. And I, so I met random people there, which I would not recommend doing. Um, and we had some serious epics, <laughs> uh, wound up being, uh, we're trying to climb something smaller in a single day and we wound up taking two days to do it so we were exhausted without food and water um another time we just weren't capable of doing the climbing that was involved with it and so it was it was a bit of a junk show my first trip to Yosemite but I was hooked even though I'd been through the ringer with it and eventually like kept making trips back and eventually learned the all the tricks of the trade and got to climb El Cap for the first time and got a job working with the search and rescue team in Yosemite, which was, the, that's like the dream job because you have a lot of freedom to go rock climbing and you get to live in Yosemite Valley and you get to work with a bunch of amazing people and do work that is really incredible and rewarding. Um, and also get a chance to really develop all of these technical skills to another level. So I went through a bunch of technical rescue training, uh, swift water rescue training, got to work with the Helitac crew and got to work a little bit with wildland fire and all of these different skills that were involved in helping people out in the wilderness in Yosemite. Um, so spent a few years of my life doing that and climbing a ton. <laughs> and speaking of climbing a ton, one of the questions that I asked before we did this was what are some of the cooler places you've been and uh, you had said that one of the bigger challenges you had was picking just a small number of places given all the places that you've been and cool places you've seen this one is not any place local for for anyone watching the video who's trying to say where is that in Wyoming this is not in Wyoming uh, where is this shot taken so this is in the Indian Himalaya um, in the Kashmir Jammu region of northwestern India. Uh, so, you know, realizing that I had all these skills to climb big things in Yosemite, I just, uh, the obvious next step was let's go climb big things elsewhere in the world. And um, it's, it's cool that you mentioned Wyoming and we'll talk more about some of that too. But actually, some of the other peaks that I started climbing before I started going to the Himalaya or Patagonia is another place, um, was roaming around the Wind River. So, um, that's part of how I transitioned. Uh, but yeah, so taking those skills to the bigger ranges is just the next step. And we got this expedition together to go out and try to climb this peak. Um, it's called Arjuna 
and it had seen a couple of other ascents via different routes, but we were going to try to do a new climb on the peak and it's, it's hidden in the clouds back there in the background. And it's, um, around 21,000 feet in elevation. Um, so we're dealing with altitude. We're dealing with a lot of weather out there. And this trip was pretty much doomed. Like everything went wrong, but could have gone wrong without somebody getting severely injured. Uh, just getting to our base camp was enough of an expedition basically. And then we finally got there and out of the 24 days that we had to spend at base camp and try to climb the peak, we had about 20 days that were either hailing, raining, snowing, howling winds, all of the weather that you could have. Um, and when we would have a few hours of clear-ish weather, we were trying to navigate through this glacier, which you can see in front of you. And this glacier was the most ridiculously treacherous thing that I had ever, I never seen something so technical. Um, there were all of these crevasses that opened up to the center of the earth. Like you could not see the bottom of them and it was a maze trying to get through. And so we were just trying to navigate to get to the peak from our base camp. And on one of these trips through the glacier, we were, we were like halfway between the peak and our base camp when this cloud of weather, which you can see in the photo, started moving in on us. And my climbing partner and I got in this fairly heated moment of she was really stressed. Well, we were both very stressed. We didn't want to be caught out on the glacier in a whiteout stormy condition where it's cold. We're at 16,000 feet and we don't want to get wet and cold and stuck out there. Um, but navigating back through the way to get out really quickly from where we were would have put us underneath this very exposed ice fall where we had been seeing chunks of, you know, microwave sized ice and snow, ice and rock falling from 2000 feet above, like out of the clouds and basically would have obliterated us if we had been hit by one. And so the whole time we had been avoiding going that route, even though that was the quickest route. And now we were in this place where the storm was coming in, getting off of the glacier quickly was definitely the obvious, we need to do this now. Um, and she wanted to go underneath that ice chute. And I was like, but if we, if we get hit by something, like we're gonna die. So let's risk getting cold and wet versus like the, the exposure risk of potential death. And it wasn't until I eventually convinced her, like, let's take the safer route out. And it wasn't until after the fact that I had that realization that that was the decision that we were making. We were weighing discomfort versus potentially exposing ourselves to real physical hazard. Um, and it's an interesting decision to be making because with the storm looming in, it's the, it's the immediate threat. It's the thing you can see, like the storm is coming. And this other hazard, which is a more dangerous hazard, is not something that's readily obvious. Like your nervous system is not aware of that. Your nervous system is aware of this cold, like 
blowing wind and snow and you are already getting cold and you don't want to be there anymore. And so it's, it's one of those challenging moments in the mountains where we had to make hard decisions and luckily got out and weren't the worst for wear for it. One of the things I, I was stricken by when you and I first talked was how much decision-making plays into what you do and how we're not wired in a way uh, that, that we naturally make the decisions you have to make the way that you make those decisions. This photo is another shot uh, from that same expedition, but the idea that uh, there are things happening in this photo that anyone who's not a technical climber probably wouldn't know about, but you're dealing with a variety of different conditions that you have to make decisions about that you're not necessarily biologically or evolutionarily wired to make the right decision in that moment. What's it like being in that situation? How do you try to restrain your natural instinct versus what you've been trained to do? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think it really does go into incrementally learning and, and training your mindset for this kind of stuff. Like if you would take someone who hadn't ever rock climbed or hadn't ever been exposed in such a way, like this is looking down several thousand feet down to that glacier. Um, if you go straight from not doing any of this stuff to that, your ability to overcome those innate instincts of like, we should not be here. Uh, you're, you're not gonna manage your stress levels very well. Like most people are not gonna manage their stress levels very well. So, um, you know, as you're learning the technical skills, you're also learning to manage the mindset skills within it. And it's something that I think going back to learning to climb in the gym, I, I was a terrified climber from the get-go. I thought I was going to die the first time I got to the top of the gym wall, which was 30 feet up or whatever. And so I think that having been through that and ha really having to work with my fear throughout my climbing has enabled me to develop a bunch of tools to manage it. And, you know, I, I think, I remember, a, a, I think it was my volleyball coach in high school saying like, oh, it's the, it's not the athletes that are like great, like, you know, born athletes that wind up becoming the best. It's the ones that are not as good, but they really want to become better and train and work at it. And if you're like, born good at this stuff you don't have to train and work at it as much and I've I've had to work really hard on the mindset stuff to be able to manage myself in these situations and um, I'm not sure if I got off track from exactly what your question was but, <laughs> but uh, I I think that yeah it's it's me working on that mindset and climbing with people also that have spent time and are able to manage fears in such a way that you're able to make rational decisions. Like it's not about what I want to do right now or what my body is reacting and telling me like physiologically, like this is not a place we should be. It's, oh, I have this sensation that is fear and I can label that as such. 
and compartmentalize and know that I can manage that fear. And these are the things that need to be done in this moment to stay safe. Well, it's a remarkable thing to see, to imagine. There are quite a few of us in Wyoming who have actually seen uh, what they're about to see on the screen because this actually is in Wyoming. And for anyone who's been thinking as they've been listening to this or watching it, that, that if I wanted to take a look at some of this stuff, if I wanted to experiment with it, we'll talk about a few ways. But if you could tell us where this is and for anyone who hasn't been to it, not only is this a place where you can climb, but you can actually backpack and hike back into this. So you don't have to wanna climb really tall things in order to be exposed to this. What is this and, and why is it special for you? So this is the Cirque of Towers out in the Wind River Range in Wyoming. And as I mentioned, the Wind Rivers were one of the places that I first started developing some of my skills in the mountains, feeling like I could take them to the bigger ranges. So um, the Cirque is, is part of that. Um, although the Cirque itself has a slightly different, so my experience in the Cirque um, I decided that I wanted to climb the entire Cirque Traverse, which is essentially the peaks that you can see in this image, plus a couple that are off to the right-hand side there. And the one that you're standing on top of with the, where this picture was taken, which is Pingora Peak. Um, so I had, as I mentioned, I've worked through my issues with fear and anxiety around climbing over the years. and. Um, particularly after working in Yosemite with search and rescue, I had been exposed to a lot of pretty significant incidents with rock climbing involved and was at a place where I didn't really know if I loved rock climbing anymore. It was really started like the old anxieties had started to crop up and I was having all these thoughts of like it, you know, it injures people, it kills people. Um, but I still, I love it, but I don't really know how to manage that relationship with climbing. And had to ask myself this question of what is it that I really do love about climbing? And it's being in these beautiful places, it's moving my body. It's actually that mindset of being very attentive to the present moment and being challenged in that is something that I do love about rock climbing. And so when I got in, in my head that I wanted to do the Cirque Traverse, it was, it was coming off of the end of that like bad place with rock climbing and realizing what I really loved about it. And so my goal was, yes, I wanted to do the Cirque Traverse, but I also wanted to be as present with the things that I loved about climbing as I could for this mission. Like that was my main goal in going out there. And, uh, I remember, so this is a big day the, it's 10 plus peaks along this Ridge, um, about seven miles of sort of technical movement along the Ridge itself and 20 something miles total from the trailhead, uh, of, at big Sandy to hike into the Cirque and then do the traverse and hike back out. So it's big day. Should have probably started about 3 a.m. Um, and I didn't because I wasn't sleeping very well. And so I decided to sleep in a little bit. And some friends of mine caught up to me on the trail and I hadn't gotten as early of a start. And I was 
watching the moon rise over Big Sandy Lake and I was taking pictures and looking at wildflowers and they're like, Josie, what are you doing? Like, aren't you supposed to be doing this big thing? Like, shouldn't you be running basically? And I was like, yeah, but that's not the point. Like, like I wanted to be there. I wanted to smell the wildflowers along the way. And I told them my, my favorite quote from John Muir is hiking. I hate the word and I hate the act. I prefer to saunter in the mountains. So I was just out for a saunter in the mountains basically on this trip. And, um, I really, I had that presentness. I was very engaged in my surroundings and in touch with my movements and just had that mindset pretty much throughout the whole traverse. Um, and until there's, there's one part on it that's a bit infamous that had gotten in my head because people had told me about it. And it's a spot that you can't really do unless you have a climbing partner that can belay you across it. You can't really do it safely. And it's this step across with a thousand feet of air below you on either side. And I had to sit down and regroup and breathe a little bit and think about again, why I was there. And ultimately I looked at that and I was like, I don't want to do it. Like, there's no reason to risk this part. And so I rappelled down to the notch from there and continued on the rest of the traverse. So I missed this one little peak on the traverse, which younger, more enthusiastic Josie would have been like, oh, you suck. Like you should have done the full traverse and beaten myself up about it. And now I'm like, I I had the experience in the mountains that I wanted to have. And I made a decision based on what I wanted to be doing out there, which was not putting myself at that kind of risk in a, in a way that I didn't feel was worth it. And I got to see some beautiful things and it was a beautiful day out there. So that was, that was a turning point where I was like, yes, I do climbing is this thing that I love again. And I am capable of doing it the way that I want to do it again. I am really glad that Wyoming played some part in you falling back in love with that part of climbing that you like. You mentioned the idea of risk a few times. I think most people who don't have exposure to climbing think of it as a very risky experience. And here we have a shot that's also a Wyoming shot. This is just outside of Lander and Six Canyon. Um, could you talk a little bit to th this perception of rock climbing as being a very risky, dangerous thing versus what it actually is? Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's varying levels and we we went through these big mountainous adventures where there are actually a lot of real risks. There's things that can fall out of the sky and hit you. There's bad weather that can come in and it, you know, people do die in the mountains like that. And people, there's big accidents that happen. So that part of climbing can be quite risky for sure. And there's this type of climbing called sport climbing, which is what predominantly we have around Lander that is it's called sport climbing because it's kind of like a game or a sport and it there are still some risks involved but it's mostly quite well managed and the real hazard would be making a human mistake that like somebody's not paying attention to the systems but the systems work really well and so this picture is a 
perfect example of being caught on the end of a rope um, in a very routine climb or fall while sport climbing. And it enables us to really push ourselves physically. Like you can try as hard as you can and you can fall all day. And if you go walk up there, it sinks and just check out the rock climbers. Like you'll see people falling and do it all the time because it is managed and the ropes are strong. Like you could move your truck with a rope and all of this stuff is really solid hardware that's drilled into the rock that can hold your weight and hold the force of a, of a large fall. So it's a fun way to do it. It's a fun way to get used to some of that exposure and get used to the movement on the rock. And I don't know about anyone else who might listen to this or, or watch this, but me talking to you about it, I did have voices in my head saying, I should try that. That would be kind of fun. I, it would be interesting to give it a shot, if nothing else. And one of the things that we talked about is an event that happens in Lander uh, that you're involved with, and that's part of how you and I met each other. Could you tell folks about the festival that happens in Lander? Yeah, so this image is of the International Climbers Festival that happens every summer in mid-July in Lander, Wyoming. So coming up this summer in 2022, it's going to be the 14th through the 17th of July. So it's a Thursday through a Sunday, four-day event, long weekend, um, where climbers from all over the U.S. and internationally come out and share skills, have a good time, and meet a bunch of great people. And it's it's really an amazing community event because it it brings the Lander community together also with that big global climbing community. Um, so throughout the weekend, we have an art crawl down Main Street, which is a bunch of, it's climbers and artists and climbers that are artists uh, from locally and elsewhere. And that really engages the community with like the local community with the climbing community. And then City Park has a bunch of events in it. Uh, so this is the dino comp. So we set up a big wall where people are launching through the air to do the biggest moves to dino um, is what we call it, where you're just throwing through the air to catch these holds. And we do age brackets. So this is the, the girls age bracket doing the dino comp. Um, and then we also have a bunch of guides, professional athletes that come out to teach clinics, do slideshow presentations. We put on a film festival in the park. Um, and then a bunch of the climbing companies bring out shoes and harnesses and all of this gear to demo. So it's a really great way for people to be exposed to new skill sets, new equipment, and to the community. So it's a really fun time. Well, for anyone climber or non-climber, thus far non-climber, uh, who might be interested in any of what uh, Josie's talked about uh, or just getting in touch with Josie, uh, on the screen now you'll see a link to the website um, for the Wyoming Climbers Association. Um, if you uh, put it into a search bar, be aware it's not Wyo Climbers, it's wyomingclimbers.org. Uh, uh, and uh, I would say it's a great resource for people to get in touch with. Um, even if uh, you're just curious, maybe you're not even curious about climbing, but this whole idea of 
making good decisions and managing your mindset, and juggling anxiety versus rationality. Um, Josie's a fascinating conversationalist on that whole topic and uh, great to talk to about that. Josie, thanks for being a part of the association. Thanks for what you yeah. do and reaching out to the community and thanks for doing this today. Absolutely. Thank you. It was a pleasure to chat. Thank you.